back in everyone to another fantastic episode of whisper in the wings from stage whisper we have a wonderful show in store for you today one that actually hits quite close to home for me reminiscent of my childhood joining us today we have the creator director and co-composer writer and lyricist quentin medea and the co-composer writer and lyricist Laura Pelea. They're part of the show The Pitcher Project, which is playing September 28th through October 21st at Dixon Place. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting thepitcherproject.com. But with that, let's go ahead and welcome on our guest, Lauren Quinton. Welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us. I'm so excited to have both of you here. And as we were talking before we started, I mean, this show literally hits close to my my first home, way down in the southwest corner of New Mexico, small smelting, copper smelting town of Plyus. You've got this great show that, you know, deals with a lot of things that I had to go through in a sense, or as a result of what your show talks about before moving to Salt Lake. So Quentin, I want to start with you, as you are the creator of the Pitcher Project, can you tell us a bit about what your show is about? Yeah, absolutely. So how this kind of all came to be and what the show is about. Back in 2017, I stumbled on pictures by my favorite photographer, Seth Lawless, who had this photo series called The Most Dangerous City in America, titled Toxicity. And the photos were of this town I had never heard of, which I would later find out was Pitcher, Oklahoma. And I was just really kind of haunted by them and really intrigued by what I had seen in the images. So we had started doing some research. I reached out to Lauren and said, Lauren, I don't know what this is yet, but I think this might be a show and we need to do our research and then see where it leads. And we kind of used the pun, you know, like once we started mining for information, it just kept going and going and going. And it turned out to be this abandoned mining town in the northeast corner of Oklahoma that had such a complex story that we could not look away and we could not stop researching. And essentially, it was the world's largest producer of lead and zinc and made over half the ammunition for World War I and World War II for the United States and then became the most toxic place to live in America, deemed the number one Superfund site by the Environmental Protection Agency in 1983. To get even more complicated, the land that Pitcher sits on is actually part of the Quapaw Nation Reservation. And when the resources were found there, the land was re-stolen, even though we as the collective government had pushed the Quapaw Nation there. Then we retook the land. The Bureau of Indian Affairs did not manage the land leases correctly. And unfortunately, once the Earth was so mined out and destroyed. In 2013, when the town officially dissolved, they gave it back to the Quapaw Nation. And there's lots more details in and around there and then quite a few other crazy things like the 2008 tornado that hit Pitcher. But essentially our show follows uh, the lead researcher there, Rebecca Jim, from 1983 to about 2013. And it it tries to dive into all the complicated layers that Pitcher has and what it's like to leave a home and really asks the question about how we take responsibility for our missteps and our actions and how we treat the land and who owns the land is another big question in the show. But essentially what 
do we do as people to take care of our home and what is our home? And yeah, it centers on on those questions in a town that has a lot of pride and a lot of spirit. And in 2019, we decided to go there to, to research more and do interviews. And a lot of our characters are based on the people that we met. And yeah, it, it, it's this living, breathing thing now, which is insane um, to think about and, and to have become real with some incredible actors that are really elevating the text and, and all these things. But yeah, Lauren, let me know if I forgot anything and, and you can chime in too. I think it's a good, a good, you know, brief synopsis of the main idea. That sounds incredible though. That, I mean, it, 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 it you got everything in there. I'm, I'm angered. I am interested. I'm, my interest is peaked. I mean, you, you're checking all the boxes. So how did you come up with the idea to just, you know, decide to write a musical about this? When we were doing that research, I think one of the biggest things that stood out was that there was this constant juxtaposition and these really big highs and lows in the story. For example, the EPA comes in 1983, September 8th, 1983, and says, you know, you're the most toxic place in America. 1984, the pitcher high school football team wins the state championship. And I don't know why that first juxtaposition struck me as so theatrical, but that idea that like you told this really small town of a population at that time around 2100, that they were like the worst place to be in the country. And yet here they are strong as ever the next year. There were a couple documentaries we had watched and I think I was so moved by the people and about how specifically Rebecca Jim really talks about nature and talks about what they did with the land that it was something that, you know, in, in a musical we sing because words are not enough. Spoken dialogue is not enough. There's so much more behind it. And to me, the whole thing just felt very musical. And yeah, some people have always questioned, like, how do you make a musical about something that sad? And the truth is, yes, there is there is a lot of sadness in the story, but there, there are a lot more complicated emotions than just that. And there is a lot of joy still in Pitcher, which is is something I think that really struck us when we did interviews was the question of, oh, if you could move back to Pitcher, would you? And they, basically everyone we asked said yes immediately. It was like, oh, I'd go right now. But yeah, Lauren, I, there's other things too about why we wanted it to make it a musical. So just, I don't want to talk the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I I think that's that's true. When words aren't enough, we made it into song. And oh, that is all over this story. There are so many very extreme highs and lows that happen just seemingly one after another for people that live in picture. And we just felt music was the only way to express that. Now, Lauren, how did you come up like into the picture? How did you come upon this project? Quentin just called me and said, I found these pictures and it's a musical. I said, okay. <laughs> and it, like from then on, it was just immediate. He sent me a couple links to some articles and a documentary off the bat. And I watched all of those. And it was immediate. It was like, absolutely, this story is insane. And I was just so struck by the fact that I had never heard of this before. I had never heard of Pitcher. Nobody I knew had ever heard of Pitcher. And it's the most toxic place in America. And that was just baffling to me. And I knew that other people needed to hear this story because I fell in love with the, the story and the people there almost instantly so i knew other people could too fascinating now as the co-composer and lyricist and writer 
what has it been like developing the show as you get ready to, you know, open the work at Dixon Place? What's that been like for you, Lauren? It's been it's been interesting. I'm more more the music and lyrics front, so I could speak more in terms of the music component of the show. It's been really interesting watching the show grow. We have you know, the, the first song of the show, I Won't Lose You Here, was written. Not the first song of the show, the first song we wrote for the show. I wrote that back in 2018 and now it's 2023 and seeing what has stayed with the project from that point on what has completely left the project what has adapted and grown and watching watching songs that have existed forever grow as the project has grown whether that's changing the time period changing when the characters expressing these emotions why those moments big and small have stuck with us for so long it's just been very very interesting to watch our show adapt as we've you know we have characters that don't exist anymore scenes that don't exist anymore things that we've added that have been very intentional and it's been very very cool to to see the ways that our show has grown and adapted as we've learned more from the people of picture as we've learned from our audiences from our past throughout the years and different iterations we've had um, yeah, so it's been it's been pretty cool to watch it grow. That's amazing. And Quentin, you know, as the creator of the show, the conceiver of it, and the director as well, you're getting ready to put the show up. I believe this is the world premiere. Is that right? Yeah. What has it been like getting it on its feet and getting it ready and seeing, you know, your work kind of get legs? Yeah, I mean, it's overwhelming for sure. It's, of course, rewarding. I think we're getting to that point, you know, it, while we're in the process, you know, there's things, of course, of like, do we change this? Do we move here? What do we do? All those types of things. But I will say, like, I guess the the, the overwhelming aspect is, you know, for so long, a lot of this has lived in Lauren and I's brains or in our Google Drive. <laughs> and we've had the opportunity to have, you know, some wonderful people participate in the past that have helped elevate it through those different versions. I mean, the first draft of the show is nothing like this draft. Mm -hmm. Each draft we call like, the first one was, you know, draft one, but then it was like 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. I think we're on like 7.9, you know, all these different mm -hmm. iterations of the show. There's times where like some of our cast who's seen the show before will call an old song or a song by its old name. And we're like, oh my God, no, that song's gone. <laughs> Things like that. And, and, you know, putting it on its feet, it's, as a writer, you know, you hold on to something for so long as a director and someone shepherding a process through. It's been just ours for so long. And now it's not just ours, right? Like we're at that point where we have to open it up to other people too. Cause like our cast size is 20 people. So there's 20 other people bringing different energies and different talents to that material but then there's like my assistant director Taya who's phenomenal and then there's all these designers now who are bringing their brains into the process and then you know Lauren also wrote all the orchestrations and now we have this like eight piece band that is now playing all these songs so it becomes this thing that used to be held so tightly by just the two of us that now is being shared by uh, there must be 45 to 50 people working on this in different aspects and that part is it's it's overwhelming it gets emotional at times and at times it's oh i should have changed that line or or i maybe we should have done this and that there's that second guessing and then there's the the confirmation when that moment finally happens where you're like oh my god yes like that song i won't lose you here that song yeah it's like five years old 
And it still is one of my favorite moments in the whole show. And it's some of the, the cast has been like this song. And I was like, it's the first song ever written for the project. And I think, you know, that song has had some different drafts, but overall it stayed pretty much the same. But knowing that a lot of the material has been right for a long time is really re rewarding. And, you know, like, through the, through the writing process, we've always gone back to some of the people that we interviewed. We've gone back to Rebecca Jim, who's a lead character of the show and one of our leading people of our lives, we like to say. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, there are so many bits and pieces and to have a cast and a crew and a band and all these people standing behind it, believing in it. There's times where it's, it's so overwhelming. You don't know almost what to say next. And then there's sometimes you're like, ah, and then there's sometimes where it's like so joyous, you know, it, it's, it's really been a roller coaster. that overall, like the, the product's going to be so phenomenal that like, you know, the six plus years of working on it behind the scenes is like that bottom part of that iceberg where like now the people only get to see the top. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, you always hear stories of like, oh, it took this show 10 years to get to Broadway, 15 years to get to Broadway. And like, I guess you know, when I was younger, I was like, that seems like a long time. And now I'm like, <laughs> Woo, it's been six years. People are like, when did you find this? I'm like 2017. And now it's, it's 2023. And it, it's, yeah, but it's one to always have like Lauren support and our, our working relationship is really important to me. And, and knowing that there's times where we look at each other and we're like, yes, or there's times we look at each other and we're like, no, or there's times where we like both fight independently for the thing that we think is more right for the moment. That's just the process. And that's, you know, can be exhausting overall. But yeah, I mean, there's moments now where I watch the show and I'm watching these actors sing these words that like Lauren and I have sung to ourselves or to each other. <laughs> demo recordings and all these things or like we need to change that word or in the last draft it was different and then you know it's the process itself is is long and at times difficult like any process is but I think now that like you know tickets are on sale there's costumes all these people are like real things it's like whoa like we created that and that's that's I think partly kind of the the crazy aspect of it is like whoa we did this thing and it, it's happening Oh, that sounds amazing, though. Oh, I'm it's so overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> well, Quentin, what is the message or thought you're hoping the audiences will take away from the picture project? Yeah, I think something that I've always felt about the story was that that aspect that Lauren kind of talked about is like, we never heard of it. Um, and maybe if we had heard of it, or taking some care to it, maybe things like the lead poisoning crisis and the water in the pipes in Flint wouldn't have happened if we had been paying more attention in the 80s and 90s to what was happening in Pitcher. And I want partly the audience to walk away and have, have a newfound respect for how we treat the land and how we do the things we do. Yes, in order to prosper, like there, there's, there's always going to be that want or need for growth as a person as a country as whatever you want to call that conglomerate but if we don't take a moment to think about the place where we live to make the rest of that happen then like we're not going to have that down the line and then there's also the part of like we as a country should really look at taking some responsibility for those actions but also how we've treated the indigenous communities in this country things such as that and then there's lots of themes of just like 
how do you grow up in a place that, you know, might be harmful to you? So there's all these these themes that I hope the audience really takes away. You know, we did a workshop at the College of New Jersey in April of 2023, and a lot of teachers were there just because TCNJ is a teaching school, and, you know, my mom works in a school, and my friends are teachers, and and the show really connected to them on that front because there's uh, there's there's three children in the show and we watch kind of what their lives are as they grow up in this place they didn't realize was harming them. So yeah, there's lots of things. Lauren, what do you want? What do you want them to take away? Well, I think something that really resonated with us after we did the workshop at the College of New Jersey, somebody's response to the show was, I came in hesitant to have to sit through a musical about the environment and I left experiencing a show that was so much more than that and I think on the both sides of that that argument one we want people to know picture we want people to know Rebecca Jim's name we want people to know what happened we want people to know what the Quapaw Nation is still experiencing and what that's looked like historically and still presently and in the midst of this entirely preventable environmental disaster that we're learning about through history to present day we're also seeing the struggles of womanhood. We're also seeing what it's like to be a mother and raise a child in this. We're also learning what's struggling with, with legacy when your home is disappearing from underneath your feet. And we have all these delicate, intricate stories that happen. So you're leaving, ideally learning a history and science lesson and also maybe feeling something unexpected within you as well. That is so wonderful. Love that. My final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to the picture project? And Lauren, I'm going to start with you on that. Yeah. Something that we've always talked about was having the show exist in an educational setting. I think this can inform folks of all ages, whether that's children, whether that's adults, whether that's teachers, like we had watching the show previously. I I don't think there's any, this sounds silly, but I don't think there's anyone that shouldn't see this musical. There truly is something in there for everyone. I, every day I'm watching a piece and I am resonating with a, a character that maybe I didn't resonate with before. I love all of the female characters in this musical beyond belief. And I have so much care for them and respect for them in real life and in the people that we've created. And just today, I found a newfound respect for our leading male character in a way that I didn't have before. Though, you know, our ideals don't line up, him as a character and me as a person, there's something inside of him that I can completely understand and resonate with how he's feeling. Um, so there truly is something in all of these people and in these stories where everybody can find themselves and hopefully learn something about the world around them and themselves. So all that to say, everybody should see the picture project. Yes. Yes. Quentin, what about you? Yeah. You know, that, that dream of yes, having this, you know, professional production with New York city actors, that's all fine and amazing and perfect. And uh, the dream come true. And then there's the, the part two to that dream, which is I'd love to see the show licensed and I'd love to see particularly schools in Oklahoma get, be able to get the rights to the show and do the show ones that our casting could be appropriate, but two, because, you know, a piece of art, like I kind of said before, yes, it's with us, but then I also think about the the 
arts education I had growing up, which was access to all these Broadway shows that were licensed. And I, that's where I fell in love with theater. And I think if someone had the ability to fall in love with theater through the thing that we wrote, that would be like cherry on top of it all. Um, especially if it's a, in a place that is really close to where picture actually happened. So yeah, that would be phenomenal if we could do, you know, a real tour and have it go through a lot of the, the cities that worked in the mining industry and then, and, and also had access to uh, indigenous communities and be able to provide the opportunity to see the show for, for people that would be phenomenal. I, I think it does exist partly in this educational world and commercial. If, if, if that so be, if Broadway wants it, we will absolutely <laughs> that transfer, but yeah, you know, and then we've always talked about like the cast recording and the, this and the, that, and how do we, get this show to the masses. So I know there's the line in the show, whatever it takes. And that's kind of what Rebecca Jim's motto is, is the work is never done doing whatever we can. And that's kind of what we all kind of follow now. I'll look at the cast and they'll be like, whatever it takes. And now it is, it's, it's whatever it takes to get this show to the people that one, I think would enjoy it, but then also to the people that like might be hesitant. I would love to, to have that happen. For the second part of our interview, I want to give our audience a chance to get to know the two of you a little bit better on more of a personal level. And I kind of want to build on what you were saying, Quentin, just now. And I want to ask, what or who inspires you? What playwrights or shows or composers inspire you or are just some of your favorites? And I do want to stick with you first on that, Quentin. Yeah. You know, I think growing up in New Jersey, very, very fortunate to have really wonderful arts education programs. So being able to have that opportunity with the company I grew up with, New Jersey Repertory Theater, which is actually how I met Lauren as I was directing a show there, that she came and auditioned and got a lead, if I might. <laughs> and and now we always joke about that. Did you think in 2015, when you did All Shook Up, that we'd still be best friends now? But I, I, I'm, I'm really inspired by the work that I did there. And I, I I work a lot in educational spaces. So inspired by my mentor, Phyllis Christensen there. And then, you know, in my professional adult life, I had a great mentor who's still my mentor from college, Ash Marinaccio, who I'm really inspired by, who does a lot of documentary theater. And then, yeah, I, I, I love a lot of directors and creators, um, really inspired by the director, Marianne Elliott. I just think the work she does is one, visually captivating, but also extremely creative. And then, you know, I, I do a lot of work that I think involves some spectacle. Um, so people like Alex Timbers and and I come from a big dance background. So even though the picture project doesn't have big flashy, flashy dance numbers, I get often compared to Casey Nicola. So that's kind of, I, I will ride that train. You know, I'm, I'm happy to be <laughs> to him. In terms of writers, you know, I was introduced to Anna DeVere Smith very early into college and I just love the work that she does. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of playwrights I enjoy, but I mean, in terms of in, in musical writers also, I really like Dave Malloy. I really like Sondheim. So those are kind of the world that I live in and I'm inspired by. I really love the people that hone in on the idea of like, can everything make the story flow? And even if we're not writing, like 
Pitcher, I think, has phenomenal, beautiful, amazing songs. Not all of them are meant to be like pop singles. A lot of them are like, you'll only understand it in the context of the show because that's where the characters are. And I find that the shows I really enjoy are those that are crafted with that in mind. Like, like for instance, I love Hades Town. I think Hades Town is brilliant. And what Rachel Chafkin and Anise Mitchell did in that show is just top notch. I love that. Lauren, what about you? What or who inspires you? I grew up more in the the pop world. Like I had started doing musicals by by time I was in third grade and always continued doing it. But I singer first, as they say in in the industry. Uh, you know, you'll find videos of me at like three years old screaming kiss songs with my dad, and it was just what I did. And it was normal for me <laughs> and they were had never had any problems with me being very loud however I after getting introduced to musical theater I loved it but I had never written a song until one that I would count as not garbage uh, until like 2018 from that point on it kind of just like took off I see a lot of similarities between me and Sarah Bareilles in the sense that she has she has, in my opinion, has always existed in a pop, a theatrical pop world where there's there's a delicate balance between specific storytelling and a broad message. It's always, you know, leading with piano, the just lyrically, melodically, I feel like there are a lot of similarities there. And I, I love what she did with Waitress musically and orchestrationally. I see a lot of similarities there. And I mean, even through this process, I... I mean, I know my, my fair fair share of musicals, but I never kind of delved into that, I think, in the same way that a lot of my musical theater peers did. Through this process specifically, I mean, I know we've both been very, very inspired by the people that we got to talk to. And in a lot of our songs and scenes, a lot of the words are the words of the folks that are there. And so I feel like of recent, I've really just been drawing a lot of inspiration from the subject themselves and almost not overthinking it. And I think this is this is their story. We're just happy to provide this platform to put it into the art form that it's in. And one song in the show, Trying to Be Brave, I spoke, I, I never told Rebecca Jim what the song was about. I just asked her to have a conversation about this idea. And I was just asking her questions about her life and we were just having a conversation in the middle of the night. And she said to me, we kept continuing. The song was, was, the idea was about bravery. She didn't know this. And she said to me, when the bad things come and grab you, you can't let them take you away. You have to learn how to be brave. And I was like, well, I can't write anything better than that. And so the lyric is in the show. <laughs> and so, <laughs> from people and experiences and emotions and putting that delicate, like cerebralis-esque melodic pattern in it, I think is where I've found myself over the last few years. Love that. Yes. Well, I now want to ask my favorite question to ask guests, and that is, what is your favorite theater memory? Okay, I have just a brief, brief ones that came to mind right away. The first Broadway show I ever saw was The Lion King, and I got to see it with my family. So off the bat, you know, your first Broadway show, great. The cliche option, which, you know, I will fully admit moved me just as much as it did the next girl who wanted to be painted green watching like as a child 
this witch rise from the sky and scrawled her face off. It was like, how could you not, how could you not be like, oh my gosh. And then it just blackout and we're at intermission. And all of a sudden you have to get up and go to the bathroom. And you know, you just don't want to do that. So that, that would be my, my cliche, but very, very, very true response. And the last one would be in the more recent years, seeing the color purple revival, the show started. It's like, I, I kid you not. We were, we were a couple of Mississippis into this show. Jaw dropped. Like my, my, my chin was on the ground and I had instant tears just from the sound I was hearing being the most perfect conglomeration of noise I could ever imagine. I was floored. Right. Those were wonderful. Thank you, Lauren. Quentin, what about Fine. you? So actually, the the first Broadway show I ever saw was also Lion King. I saw it when I was two years old. Original <laughs> cast. Loved that humble brag. <laughs> My other humble brag is also for Wicked. I was there the night Adina Menzel fell through the trap door and Shoshana Bino went on for the last like two minutes. So that's a great theater memory because you brought up Wicked. So I just have to, you know, put that one out there. I think like a personal theater memory, just in in general, I ran this program called Summer Mock and it was like a mock summer stock for middle schoolers and high schoolers. And the first summer we did it, we did Spelling Bee and then Little Women and then Guys and Dolls. And each show was given eight rehearsals, one tech show, two shows. And... It was a summer where just like all the things in your brain like play out the right way on the stage. And the kids were just so flipping phenomenal. But to to talk about Little Women in particular, (laughs) the second show, there was this massive rainstorm in Jersey and the theater flooded. And so we had to cancel that. And then two weeks later, like after Guys and Dolls had already opened and closed, we did like the final Little Women performance. The kids did not rehearse the show in two weeks. It was a different pianist. It was like all these different things. And my my students, they did Little Women. And it might be just one of the, the like most favorite performance moments I think I've ever had as a director. But one to like watch their resilience as, you know, young adults be like, no, we're going to do this. But also to watch their, well, one, their stamina the whole summer to really keep up and, and be on it. But it was, you know, three big shows and a lot of, lot of rehearsal and a lot of, you know, you get to learn thing once and then you have to know it. But that particular experience, I feel like really prepared that group of students for what they were going to do in their lives. A lot of them have now gone on to, you know, become actors and they're working. And a lot of them are also now teachers that are running theater programs, which is really cool and, and working towards that. So yeah, I think that's like a proud director moment that is is part of like a, an amalgamation of what I do as my overall career, which is education and arts and trying to train people for the future. Love that. Oh my gosh, shout out to all those kids. Oh, I know. That quickly. I know I couldn't do that. So that's incredible. Yeah, they're rock stars. What wonderful memories. Thank you both for sharing those. I love them all. Thank you. Are there any other projects or productions that either of you have coming on the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? 
Yeah, I'm supposed to start Peter and the Starcatcher at the Fordham's Bronx campus on October 10th. So <laughs> I will hopefully be starting that soon. And then Lauren and I are actually supposed to do a show at the College of New Jersey in the spring, Just waiting on the final title for what that is. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, finally, if our listeners would like more information about the Pitcher Project or about either of you, perhaps they'd like to reach out to you, how can they do so? Yeah, they can reach out to thepitcherproject at gmail.com. Pitcher is spelled P-I-C-H-E-R. There's no T in it. So <laughs> thepitcherproject at gmail.com. And we're also at thepitcherproject.com. Well, wonderful. Quentin, Lauren, thank you both so much for taking the time today to stop by and share with us this incredible show and some incredible memories. This was fantastic. I'm so excited about this show. So I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. Thank you. you Thanks for having us. My guests today have been Quentin Medea, who is the creator, director, co-composer, writer, and lyricist, and Lauren Pelea, who's the co-composer, writer, and lyricist of the show, The Pitcher Project. It's playing September 28th through October 21st at Dixon Place. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting thepitcherproject.com, and that's pitcher, P-I-C-H-E-R, no T. You can also reach out to them by emailing them at thepitcherproject at gmail.com. Visit their website for more information or to find our guest's contact info or check them out on Instagram at thepitcherproject. We're going to have all of this information on our social media post as well as on our episode description, but make sure you get your tickets now at thepitcherproject.com for The Pitcher Project playing September 28th through October 21st at Dixon Place. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. Hello.